Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. If you are just heading into work or have to move on with your day and cannot listen to the show right now, you can always hear today's full broadcast of Detroit Today on the Detroit Today podcast. Just go to iTunes or wherever you find podcasts and download and subscribe to Detroit Today. You can listen to us whenever or wherever you like. It's hard to recall a political drama of late as fraught and thick with intrigue in the U.S. Congress as the vote to repeal and replace Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act, a measure that ultimately failed in the Senate last week. But the debate over health care reform is nowhere near over in this country. Some Republicans and Democrats are trying to work on bipartisan tweaks to the Affordable Care Act that would help drive down or stabilize premiums. But also lingering in the air are the whispers and reminders of a proposal long abandoned during President Obama's push for national health care, a single-payer system. Essentially, Medicare for all. Now, there isn't a huge push for a single-payer system happening right now in Washington, but after last week's showdown and failure, Everything seems like it could be on the table for negotiation, and single-payer does have really staunch supporters, namely Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. We're going to spend the hour today talking about single-payer, what that means, how it would change health care if it became a reality, and whether there's a possibility that that system could be implemented in the United States anytime in the future. In a few minutes, we're going to talk to an expert on how and whether our system could adjust to a single-payer system, and we'll talk to someone from the industry who would perhaps cease to exist, insurance providers, about what reforms they would like to see instead of single-payer. But first, let's hear about the political reality or fantasy of single-payer health care. And callers, we would definitely want you to join this conversation. When I say single-payer, what do you What do you think of? Does that sound like something that uh, you could get behind as a solution to the healthcare woes that we have here in the United States? Or does it sound like socialism? Does it sound like something that is about government takeover of healthcare? One of the right wing's favorite phrases about things like single payer. Also, do you really understand what that means, single payer? I think it's a more complicated concept than many people who react to it viscerally actually have thought about or understand. So we want to hear from you callers today uh, about single-payer systems, about the whole idea of single-payer systems. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, work your comments into the conversation. We especially want to hear about your experiences with healthcare. Maybe you had an experience in a system that has more of a single payer type uh, uh, structure. Uh, did you have to go get healthcare in Canada, for instance, at any point? Did you have to go engage with the healthcare system in a country in Europe? Uh, tell us what that was like and whether you think that was better than what we have here. In the United States. Again, 313-577-1019 is that number on the phones. And joining us now to set up what is going on in Washington with the healthcare debate is Paul Demko. He is a healthcare reporter for Politico. Paul, welcome to Detroit Today. 
Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, so, as I said in the open, we've got Republicans and Democrats working together, uh, at least behind the scenes, on health care, something we haven't really seen in Washington in seven or eight years. Uh, the Affordable Care Act was was crafted entirely by Democrats. Uh, the 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 latest bill, which failed in the Senate, was crafted entirely by Republicans. Uh, talk about who is involved in this new effort, this bipartisan effort, and how likely it is, I guess, to to take off and and actually produce something. Well, in the Senate, which is where the action has been lately, you have uh, Senator Lamar Alexander from Tennessee, the chair of the uh, Health, Education, Labor, and Pension Committee. And Patty Murray from Washington, the ranking Democrat, um, talking about having hearings and crafting bipartisan legislation to try to stabilize the individual market um, in the near term. Because, uh, you know, while this debate has played out, there's a lot of problems with these marketplaces in some states. Um, and, you know, there's the potential that that some folks might, might not have any options for purchasing coverage. Um, and then in the House, you have an interesting effort. You have about 40 House members, bipartisan group, call themselves the Problem Solvers Caucus, that has been meeting for, um, you know, over a month uh, to try to talk about what they might be able to agree on, again, in terms of marketplace stabilization. And they put out a package on Monday of about a half dozen proposals that uh, they think uh, folks should get behind to, to try to stabilize these markets. So there's, there's activity for sure. Whether that activity is going anywhere, I'd be quite skeptical, at least in the near term, um, because in the background you have you know, President Trump doing a couple things. One, really kind of browbeating, bullying Senate Republicans for failing to pass any legislation. He just keeps going after them on Twitter. So it's hard to see how they kind of give up on that repeal effort when they keep getting um, beat up by the by the head of the party. And then secondly, uh, President Trump threatening to, to pull out these uh, cost-sharing subsidy payments. Right, right. Um, which could really tank the markets. And if he does that, it's really just going to infuriate Democrats. So I think those two things make it very difficult to see bipartisanship working right now. And and meanwhile, of course, Bernie Sanders, who was a Democratic candidate for president, a senator from Vermont, is still pushing the idea of single payer. Just the other day on CNN, he was talking about the virtues of single payer and really given a chance, I thought, during that interview to talk in detail about how he sees things working than maybe he did uh, on as big a platform during the presidential campaign. Uh, is Bernie Sanders the only person in Washington who is really thinking about this this idea in, in a serious way? Oh, definitely not. I mean, there's more than 100 sponsors of uh, Congressman Conyers' bill mm -hmm. in the House for Medicare for All. Um, you know, the Senate Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer, uh, came out and said, you know, we should be thinking about uh, single-payer or Medicare for All. I can't remember specifically which, which phrase he used. They're often used interchangeably. Um, but, you know, that's a pretty easy rhetorical stance to take when you're in the minority and nobody is going to pay any attention to your ideas 
um, and they have no chance of actually being enacted, and it plays very well with your base. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of interest, a lot of discussion, um, but whether those are just rhetorical gestures um, or not, I, 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 you know, I'd be skeptical about whether Democrats right now, if they came to power, would really re- be pushing hard for, for a single payer. System. It's almost analogous, I suppose, to the position that the GOP has taken since 2010 or 2011, which is repeal uh, the Affordable Care Act, which is an easy thing to say when you can't really get it done because there's a president who would veto it and you couldn't get it through the Senate anyway. Now that you have complete power in Washington, it's hard to do because the consequences of it look a little different when they are real and when they are something that you're actually contemplating. Perhaps single payer falls into that same that same kind of uh, 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 basket. Um, again, yeah. Two, yeah, go ahead, Paul. I was just going to no, I think that's a fair, a fair analogy. I mean, if you go back to 2010 and think about the debate we were having when Democrats had all the power, um, you know, liberals wanted kind of a the, what was, you know, the public option, having a public option as part of these uh, marketplaces. And that was, you know, by no stretch single payer, mm-hmm. but it was seen as sort of a, you know, a gesture towards folks who wanted single payer. And even that couldn't garner, um, you know, the votes and ended up being dropped. Yeah. Uh, again, on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number we are talking this hour, the entire hour, about the idea of a single payer health care system. Do you support that as a solution to the things that are wrong with with healthcare in America, or do you think that would create its own set of problems that might be worse? Uh, tell, talk to us about your experience with healthcare, particularly if you've had experience with healthcare in another country. Had you lived in Canada or had to go to Canada and engage the healthcare system there? What was that like? Uh, did you feel like that was better or worse than what we have in the United States? If you travel to Europe. Uh, of course, most of the countries there have systems that are closer to single payer than what ours is. If they don't, even if they uh, don't have explicit single payer systems, what did you think about that? What was your experience like? Again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, uh, put comments there, or go to Twitter, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Jim in Belleville. Jim, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Um, at a conference on insurance uh, in May of this year, the Center for Healthcare Research and Transformation at U of M told us that uh, 63% of Americans get their healthcare insurance from government, either Medicare, Medicaid, government employees, obviously, the Veterans Administration. But we're only talking about a third of all Americans and all this argument about whether we should have government insurance, government-provided health care, is about a, a third of the people. And it just seems to me so beside the point. Why, why are we even having this discussion? We should have. Go ahead and extend Medicare for everybody, and, and, and it's the easiest thing. It could, be, it could happen tomorrow. I just don't understand the, the pushback from the right. Uh, apparently, a third of the market is where all the profits are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jim, uh, th- that's a really interesting point to inject here. Paul Demko, I'll give you a chance to, to respond to what Jim's talking about there. Two, two points about that. I mean, 
you know, there are 150 million people basically who get their job, get their insurance through their jobs, and most of them are quite happy with their coverage. So you're going to tell those people, don't worry, uh, we're going to take away your coverage and you'll have this government program and it'll be fine. Um, that's a leap of faith that people are going to be very concerned about. Um, secondly, um, Medicare for all is not a single payer system in a pure sense. Right. Um, there's a great piece by Dean Baker in the nation this week talking about this and talking about the complications of moving to single payer. Um, you know, 30% of Medicare beneficiaries are in private plans. They get their coverage through Aetna, through Humana, um, through other uh, insurance companies. Plus, there at uh, uh, most people on Medicare also have a Medicare supplemental plan. They buy another get, plan. That's right. Yeah. So, um, so I think there's uh, the idea that we could just kind of, you know, flip a switch and and everybody just jumps into Medicare is is overlooking some some real complications there. Yeah, uh, Jim, thank you very much for uh, for calling and making that point. Phyllis in Warren uh, could not go on the air, but she was wondering if citizens could be added to Congress's health care plans. Paul Demko, we hear a lot frequently about the health care that members of Congress enjoy. And, of course, that's often invoked in a pretty critical context. In other words, here they are voting on what the rest of us will have when there's never a doubt about their health care. Talk about those differences between what normal Americans face and what people in Congress uh, enjoy. Yeah, I guess I understand the political resonance of that issue, but I, I, I think it's a, a bit of a red herring. I mean, there's, what, 535 members of Congress? <laughs> right. That's, that's right. That's not really the debate here. Um, there's 70-some million people on Medicaid. That's the debate we're having. So I'm not sure why people are constantly want to bring up um, the, the benefits that members of Congress get. Um, I mean, I don't know. It just seems like a... <laughs> it seems like the wrong, right. the wrong debate to <laughs> Maybe be, the wrong debate. I, I think the point, though, that people like Phyllis are trying to make is, is not about whether that system could work on a large scale. I think it's about the irony of that small group of people who make the decisions for everybody else not being subject to what what the the consequences are of that of that system. I mean, there, there is a there's a political dynamic there that I think uh, Phyllis finds interesting and I think a lot of other people probably do uh, probably do too. Um, uh, let's go to Annette in West Bloomfield. Annette, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, good Hi, morning. Uh-huh. Go ahead. I lived overseas in Israel. They had three levels of insurance. It's all socialized medicine. The richest person receives still the best. The one at the end of the scale gets the worst. It doesn't work out. My father-in-law was never diagnosed with his brain tumors until the last two years of his life, hmm. and he died. He had the worst type of insurance. Socialized medicine doesn't always work. However, as a neonatal nurse here in Michigan, I actually have 80% of my patients on Medicaid, mm-hmm. and they get the best of everything, and they get all of the actual assistance on Medicaid. So, so I guess, Annette, which, which system do you prefer? Which system do you think works better, what they have in Israel or what they have here in the United States? I 
believe they'd have to improve on a lot of things in the United States. However, it's not going to actually pan out. I have my family member who's a doctor. He will never agree that Medicaid and Medicare are the best of everything, and no insurance will actually help pay for all the things on a private basis. Yeah, yeah. Annette, uh, thanks very much for the call and, and the comments. I think that's a really interesting comparison to try to make. Uh, let's go to Joe in Clinton Township. Joe, welcome to Detroit today. You there, Joe? Sorry about that. Um, go ahead. So my question goes back to the public option and wondering if there's any movement again on that from the Democratic side, because we hear a lot about single payer. Uh, but that kind of died when it seems that Lieberman filibustered it in the Senate or, you know, went against it in the Senate in 2010, mm-hmm. uh, because it seems like the best way really to increase coverage, but also protect the private market and also improve it through competition. Yeah. Uh, Joe, great question. Uh, Paul Demko, we, you, you briefly mentioned uh, public option earlier uh, in, the, in the conversation. Talk about whether that is something that this group in the Senate may even be, be thinking about as a way to, to move the ball forward. Yeah, you're not hearing a lot of discussion about that now. Um, but I, but I think, I think if Democrats did regain power, I do think that that would be um, very close to the top of a list of ideas um, that they would be pushing um, before they they went to single payer. Um, and and second, um, an idea. This goes to an earlier caller's point. You know that Hillary Clinton was pushing during the presidential campaign, which was a buy-in for people I think 55 and older to Medicare. I think you could see sort of a gradual movement towards um, single payer, which is really what we've seen evolve over, over you know since Medicare and Medicaid were enacted. We've seen you know gradual expansion of, of, of both programs. Um, so I think you could see a sort of inching towards um, you know a, a single payer program or something close to that with a, and a public option would be another step in that direction. Okay. All right. Paul Demko, healthcare reporter with Politico. As always, thanks for joining us for this conversation on Detroit Today. You're welcome. All right. Up next, we're going to continue our conversation about single payer, but we're going to talk to a local policy expert about the future of healthcare and how that single payer system would change the medical industry here in Southeast Michigan. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. News, music, culture, and community. Every day. Every day. Every day. On 1019 WDET. Detroit's public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking this hour about the idea of a single-payer health care system. Bernie Sanders, former Democratic candidate for president of the United States, uh, current Vermont senator, says this is the solution to America's health care woes and spent some time on CNN this week talking explicitly about how he thought that might work. What do you think of the idea of a single-payer health care system? When I say that word, uh, do you feel like that is the solution to America's healthcare woes, or do you feel like 
that's not a solution. That's something that might invite other problems. Do you think it's socialism, a kind of dirty word in our political uh, conversation in this in this country? Uh, we we especially want to hear from you about your experiences with healthcare, and if you had experiences with healthcare in another country, in Canada, for instance, we'd really like to hear what that was like and how you compare that to what we have here in the United States. Is it better? Is it worse? Are there parts of it that are better? Are there parts of it that were worse? Uh, of course, if you go to Europe, uh, most of the countries in Western Europe, at least, do have some form of uh, socialized medicine uh, that looks really different than medicine here. We'd love to hear what your experiences were with that if you've had to engage those systems. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or if you go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, we'll try to work you into the conversation. Joining me now to talk about this from a more local perspective is Mark Corovo, Vice President of Government Relations for Henry Ford Health Systems, also a former state lawmaker. Mark, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So from the position of a health system like Henry Ford, uh, talk about what a single-payer system, what Medicare for All, which is one of the other kinds of names that uh, get get tossed about when we talk about this, what would it change for Henry Ford? And would that be a positive change or would it just be a little more chaotic? Well, that's a great question. And, and I think at, at the center of that question, and you touched it at the end there, you know, more than anything, I think hospitals and hospitals. And what uh, predictability, right? Stability, stability yeah. and predictability. And when you look at all the plans that are on the table, um, and, and you thoughtfully break them apart. There, there are aspects of it that are always positive and their aspects are always negative. The trick has been, and it, it, as you see it played out at the federal level, is putting the ones together that have the least negative effect and try to maximize the good. So when Henry Ford Health System looks at the policies that are put forth, we always put them through that spectrum. And we're also in a u- unique position as well to have a Health Alliance Plan um, as one of our subsidiaries, which makes us integrated. So we, we are forced, uh, and quite frankly, we have to from a business perspective, to look at these uh, through all those lenses. So, you know, here in Southeast Michigan, um, and I think it was a caller, or maybe it was uh, your guest previously, talked about the number of people that are already currently coming through our facilities that are on some sort of public program at Henry Ford Health System, that number can be as high as 51%. So any changes within that marketplace um, will have a profound effect. So when we talk about single payer, we go through the process, as I'm sure, and I hope lawmakers do, is looking at the pros of that system and looking at the cons. And, you know, we look at what we already have in place and single payer. And, you know, we talk about Medicare for all. There's parameters in that that would remain the same. But when you move that down, um, you, you start to create problems in other areas. So um, I think the answer to the question is Henry Ford Health System wants what we uh, the very best system so that we can provide the very best care. Yeah. Uh, there's not that many lanes in the, in the insurance market uh, to choose from, and that's why I think the feds struggle to find the answer. So that we have the one now. Uh, we can either choose to try to fix that, improve that, or you pivot away from that to a totally different one. Single payer is certainly a totally different one, and uh, if there are others out there, um, they're really not on the table at this point. Yeah. 
again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones if you want to join the conversation about single payer. Uh, Terry, who called, wanted to know but couldn't stay on the line, what would the cost be to taxpayers to do a single payer uh, system? I, I often find people very curious about that. Uh, do you think it would be cheaper to manage things that way? The idea of a single-payer system is that because there's only one person making the, the reimbursements, that they essentially get to control the prices or at least keep a lid on prices. One of the real problems in the system right now is that prices continue to, to, to rise or they're, or they're just already too high. Would a single-payer system keep those costs low, but also would it would it – would it cost uh, less than we pay now through private insurance to, to, to maintain? Yeah, so we have an example out there. Vermont looked at this very seriously, mm-hmm. and they abandoned it about three years ago. And again, we it's not an apples to apples, but in terms of what um, it was going to cost them, they would have had to uh, put 11.5% tax on it. Um, I believe it was employers and somewhere around nine and a half, I think, percent to the individual. So there is a cost to the individuals. The argument uh, for that or the pro of that is that um, there will be back end savings because in a single payer system, the argument is that administrative costs can be as low as two percent. And that uh, some argue is one sixth of the cost that you see uh, in, in the private marketplace. But then there are drawbacks on the cost side of it, too. If you have a single payer, you have to defend against um, utilization because people, when they have health care, will use it, and then sometimes they can abuse it in terms of how often they want to go. So that can drive off um, utilization. So what you're seeing right now in the, in the private marketplace to kind of control that are these value-based contracting where not only do we as a provider um, are responsible for keeping costs down, I think if, if the uh, patient has some of that responsibility too. That's when you can really bend that cost curve. You know, insurance models aren't in and of themselves cost savers on health because you, you still have to care for people, and, and and reduction in that cost is always difficult. But yes, there are savings within the single payer. But then you have to open up the debate of what does that mean. You know, some people argue that two percent administrative costs is too little. Um, you see. Sometimes people argue that the government programs are slow and they're inefficient and not enough people to run them like the private industry. But so, they're putting cost uh, ahead of service or efficient, efficiency in, in, in front of making sure that people have enough access. Well, and, you know, when it comes down to healthcare, people react differently. And I, and I have this conversation all the time. It, it is not a regular marketplace where people look at price and, and make decisions as they would buying a cars. When people want Healthcare, they want the very, very best. Mm-hmm. And so we, we have to plan for that. And that's why all these market stabilization ideas, especially for Hanover Ford Health System, are important because you have to have that broad base. And insurance in and of itself, um, as an underwriting product, relies on the fact that, that there are people in there and contributing it when they're not using it. Uh, so when they are using it, and sometimes they point to that high end of the scale when we get older, there's heavy use of this. So the single pair would reduce the administrative cost potentially, but it's going to have other problems. And we just need to decide as a country. Um, I don't think that this could happen at a state level. I think that's played out. But as a country, if that's the um, direction we want to go, there's going to be some pros and there's going to be some cons. And um, that's what we need to evaluate as a nation. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. 313-577-1019. Let's go to Susan in Oxford. Susan, welcome to Detroit today. 
Thank you, Stephen. Uh-huh. Uh, I lived in the Netherlands in the mid-'80s, and the only doctor you could see without a referral was the dentist. Your GP did all the referrals and screening, and you needed to prove to him or her that you needed an expert and those testing, even a pediatrician, even a gynecologist. And the midwife would handle a lot of that. So the tests and procedures were restricted. If they weren't really needed, the insurance would not pay for it. The elites could pay for premium insurance additionally. But, for instance, a 90-year-old would not be eligible for heart surgery or some procedure if there wasn't an expectation of uh, of a further lifespan. Sure. So, so uh, Susan, I, uh, that's a really interesting set of examples. I know that here in the United States, if you are in a health uh, uh, management system and a health management organization, an HMO, in many cases, you have many of those same barriers. In other words, I can't go see a podiatrist if my if I think there's something really wrong with my foot unless the GP refers me. I can't get to um, you know all, all kinds of specialists that way. Do, do you see do you see what what you experienced in the Netherlands in the 80s as fundamentally different from what we have here now? In general, you know, I have uh, private insurance through my husband's employer, and I can run off and see any kind of specialist I want. Yeah. And I, I, I can go and have any operation that I want. Yeah. I decided I needed a knee replacement. Doctor said, okay. I mean, the specialist did. The GP was uninvolved but informed. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, and that's a form of private insurance, I think, that most, I would I feel pretty comfortable saying most people in this country right now don't have, uh, That that especially through uh, through their employers, those those kind of systems are 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 going away, and more people are seeing what uh, what you had in the Netherlands in the eighties. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. I think that's uh, quite honestly where the private insurance market um, plays a very important role currently. And, and you talked about HMOs, and you know um, having uh, an administrative process that kind of reviews. And you know over the years and. and and I've seen different things when I was in private practice where some people point out that uh, they, they overdo it in terms of uh, denying you care. But having that uh, in place really is an important function of helping keep down the cost, which helps the old premiums for everybody. Right. If you didn't have somebody... Um, I mean, if everybody could go to the doctor and say, I need a re- knee replacement, I want one, and get it the way that, that Susan is describing that, and, and I'm sure that there were other kinds of governors on that, that choice... The cost would not we, we would not be lowering costs. We would be exploding them, correct? You know, and I and I had a staffer uh, back when I was in office said a very um, it was funny one day. He indicated, you know, if 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 it was up to WebMD, he would have had an MRI every day. He said every time he got to the end of what his symptoms were, they're like, it's go like, to the I hospital need a, immediately. Like, I need an MRI. It's very funny. So yeah, so I, I think that's where the industry and, and you know, public private partnerships. Um, and I saw some work very well when I was in the legislature. Sometimes they don't work so well. But in this healthcare marketplace, I really think there's a role. So the debate now is, you know, let's not have it all be controlled by the government. You know, in, in years past, before the ACA it was almost exclusively, you know, a private marketplace. Some still argue for that today. And that's why I'm, I'm hopeful, even though I know this is such a tough debate, that this, this current effort to come to the table to find those levers and, and pull them 
you know, absent of the, of the Democrat or the Republican influence to really find what is the best marketplace. And then I think Henry Ford and, and Health Alliance Plan, we will operate in that system to provide the very best care because that is our mission. That's what we will always do. And we're just looking for a system that we can uh, provide for the, the very best uh, care that we can for our patients without facing fear of collapse or changes every three, four, five years. Yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Neil in Gross Point, you're up next. Yeah, on Detroit I, today. I was Go going ahead. to talk about healthcare justice, but I just have to respond to to one of the points that, uh, that were just made. You know, I, I think we have to be honest here. Healthcare isn't this kind of commodity that people are all of a sudden going to decide they just need knee replacements for any old reason, <laughs> or they're going to walk into a hospital and demand an MRI and we're going to have to give it to them. The reality is, is that certain things like an MRI in this country, the average cost is something like $1,100. Mm-hmm. And you go over to France, and the average cost of an MRI is about $200. And that's because of this kind of broken profiteering system that we've got right now. The real benefit of a single-payer system, though, to, to get back to the broader point, mm-hmm is that we actually will start to have a real concern about healthcare justice writ, writ large. Healthcare isn't just about um, your access to doctors. It's also about your access to food and your access to clean water and your access to good housing. And if we had a single-payer system where uh, collectively we all work together to make sure that the country is safe, healthy, and strong, uh, we'll start caring more about those big things. Because the truth is, a health insurance company right now, given the current system, does not care about making you well long-term. All they want to do is get you to 65 so you can get on Medicare, and <laughs> Medicare is going to cover the rest of the cost on the back end. Okay, so Neil, expensive cost of so Neil, I've got, a, I've got a question for you. I think, that's a, I think that's a really interesting and important point. Can you point to a country? There, there are countries on the planet who have single-payer systems, single-payer health care systems. Do you find that those countries do better on fair housing, uh, access to clean water, uh, access to food than, than we do here? I mean, you're, you're relating that to, to these other things. Do those other things fall in line, for instance, in Britain better than they do in the United States? Just look at the, 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 every, any system isn't going to be perfect, and any society isn't going to be perfect. But there is, for, for example, in the case like the U.K., far more um, access to uh, affordable housing in a, in a in a public concern about affordable housing that just isn't a big part of the national discussion in a meaningful way in Washington and in many cases even in Lansing. So uh, when you have a national health care system, and let's be honest here, the U.K. goes even further. It's, sure. It is a full-on nationalized health care system, it is. not even like single-payer. Right. Um, so it, it, people do are more concerned with the access to food and housing and other things in these systems yeah. than, than we're going to have here. I think that's a, I think that's an interesting observation, Neil. I'm not sure I'm not sure I agree. I think uh, I think th- I could point to some examples of of growing inequality in places like Britain uh, with regard to housing, with regard to access to, to to clean water and things that I think sort of argue against that. But I think I I, I absolutely see where you're going with the. With your with your thinking there, uh, Mark Corvo, do you have yeah, a response? Yeah, I, I want to respond to one thing you said about you know healthcare companies not caring about the health of, of their consumers, and we can have a a moral argument about that whether they care morally. But if you believe the health insurance companies, from a business standpoint, don't see the value in helping to keep their customers healthy, 
That is just not true. I mean, uh, there's there, that's what the underwriting is about. It is trying to set the premiums at a level that they can pay for the cost of the care at the same time pay for their administrative cost. Some insurance companies have the profit in there. So that's what the HMO model is about, is engaging them and helping to decide and help bring down the cost because it only benefits them from a business standpoint. How does it benefit us? Well, when you look at the pool, the healthier the pool, the more people in it, the lower the premiums are in it for everybody. So to segment it off one of this, whether it's carriers, insurance companies, providers, hospitals and your doctors, or the consumer or the patient, everybody's actions affect the reaction of the other. Newton's third law. Everything that a consumer does affects you know, how the providers have to provide the care and how the carriers have to pay for it. So yeah. that's why the solution includes all three. Uh, I, I think Neil's point, though, is that the profit motive that exists in the current system is naturally at odds with the best possible outcome for human beings and that and that uh, that too often we allow that profit motive to make too many of the decisions about human human care uh, I, I get what you're saying that that uh, somehow that 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 motive helps the system function overall I think what he's saying is if you if you withdrew that that dynamic from the system, you would have more players or all of the players focused on on care as opposed to cost. And that I do agree with. The, the profit element in the delivery of care is, a, is we could have a whole other radio show on that. We are a nonprofit, uh, and uh, there's some that argue that we all should be nonprofits. Should that be a part of the debate? Yes. Will there be pushback on that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mark Corvo, Vice President of Government Relations for Henry Ford Health Systems, former state lawmaker, Thanks for being here on Detroit Today. Appreciate it. Love being here. All right. Up next, we're going to continue our conversation about health care and single-payer options in American health care. We'll talk with uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield about what the insurance industry would like to see change. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking this hour about healthcare in America, about the prospect of a single payer system to manage our healthcare in America. Bernie Sanders, former Democratic presidential candidate, senator from Vermont, is one of the staunchest advocates of this idea of a single-payer system that would look more like what you might see in Canada or some European countries. What do you think about that idea? Is that a solution to what we face in America in terms of our health care woes, or do you feel like uh, that would make things a little worse? Uh, what about that word that always gets tossed out when we have this conversation, socialism? Uh, would socialized medicine alter the character of United States in a way that would be negative as opposed to a benefit. We want to hear from you this hour about that. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. What do you think about the idea of a single-payer system? Do you have any experience engaging with a healthcare system that's different from ours? Did you have to get medical care in Canada 
for instance, or in Europe, uh, where where the system works differently. What did you think about the way that worked compared to what we do here? You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. You can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work your comments into the conversation. Joining us now to talk about how all this looks from the seat of insurers in the country, the the the, the part of the in, the healthcare industry that would probably be most affected by a single payer system is Andy Hetzel. Uh, he is the he is the vice president of communications at Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Michigan. Andy, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, Stephen. Thanks hey. for having me on your program. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I as I said in the, in the open there. Uh, insurers would be most impacted by uh, a single-payer system. Uh, But I also know that at Blue Cross Blue Shield, you guys are sitting and thinking well short of that kind of radical change. What kind of things would change or need to change in order to make things work better for you? So I guess my first question for you is, if not single-payer, what is it that we need to do to get this right? Well, just to add a little bit of perspective to what I'm sure, and I haven't been listening to the whole show, has been a really lively uh, conversation that you've been having with your listeners. But the American health insurance system, first and foremost, is a primarily employer-based system. So when we talk about single-payer in the context of whether or not the Affordable Care Act law is working or not, we have to remember that the ACA covers a small percentage of the American public compared to the employer-based system. The people in in America that have private health insurance who are under 65 years old, the vast majority of those people get it at work, and the employer-based system is working. Uh, Large employers are able to offer really comprehensive benefits in a very competitively priced marketplace where insurers compete Uh, very vigorously for that business. And small employers here in Michigan um, are providing coverage uh, too. And we at Blue Cross have had very good news to deliver to them. Two out of our last three pricing cycles for small group employers, our rates have been very moderate or even lower than the previous cycle. And so on the ACA for the individual market, that's where a lot of this political debate is focused, as it should be, Um, And that is hopefully a work in progress now that the Senate has committed itself to bipartisan hearings on how to strengthen and stabilize the market. Yeah. Uh, When when you watch what is going on in Washington with the debate over the changes to the Affordable Care Act, the failure of those bills to get uh, Senate approval, uh, do you feel do you feel hopeful that that we're headed in the right direction, or do you feel like uh, this is only going to make things more chaotic and worse? Well, we do feel hopeful. When the Affordable Care Act was passed, the government set up a, sort of a hybrid of a government-funded and regulated system of private insurance coverage. Yes, and in order for that hybrid system to work. Um, all of the components of the Affordable Care Act had to work together. And those components include mandated benefits that the government tells the insurers they have to offer, uh, different levels of benefits from premium uh, plans like a a platinum plan that covers 90% of your cost 
all the way down to a bronze plan that is very affordable on the premium side but um, requires more cost sharing to the subsidies and currently in congress there's a discussion right now about some of those subsidies called cost sharing reductions this is funding that the government has been providing to help people on the lower end of the income scale, people with up to 250% of the federal poverty level of income, better afford the deductibles on their bronze and silver level plans. And so that funding is in question, and that is a key component of the system, and hopefully Congress can work together in a bipartisan fashion to put that funding back into the system because it will help people afford the coverage that the government wanted them to buy when the Affordable Care Act was passed. Uh, meanwhile, the president says he may cut insurance payments uh, as as part of his way of trying to force Congress to come up with something better. What's, what's your take on what effect that would have on insurers? Well, we, we see it a little differently. So when, uh, the, when it is mentioned about cutting insurance company funding, Really, when we're talking about these subsidies for cost share reductions, those subsidies, uh, it's about $166 million that insurance companies in Michigan received collectively in 2016, Mm -hmm. were passed through to people who bought plans under the Affordable Care Act to lower their cost-sharing amounts by uh, maybe $1,000 or more to help them better afford the deductibles in their plans. And so that money isn't an insurance company bailout. It, that money is passed through directly to consumers, to consumers sure. to help them get the care they need at affordable prices. And so if, if you cut that, then you are, you are limiting access in some way to even more, even more people. Right. You're, dri- you're driving the cost of care up for people with low incomes, and you're driving the rates up for everybody. So this year, the Michigan regulator asked all health insurers to provide two sets of rates for the next round of Affordable Care Act plans right. because of the uncertainty of the cost share reduction funding. So, for instance, Blue Care Network, our HMO, filed for a 13% average rate increase on their ACA plans, but that increase goes up to 22% if the cost share reduction funding is not included because that cost will then need to be spread across all plans in the ACA marketplace. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Michael in Farmington Hills. Michael. Welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Um, I've been listening to the program, and it's a very interesting topic. Thank you. Um, I wanted to kind of bring my my wife's perspective in. She's a physician. Uh, She works here in Detroit. And her biggest complaint about the work that she does is securing, um, securing payment for the care that she provides to her patients. She's a uh, primary care physician, mm-hmm. and she she sees the the gamut of people from children through um, through senior citizens, and the the biggest problem that she has at the end of her day is is making the connection between the care that's 
provided to people, that's offered to them through their insurance plans, and the the nuts and bolts of getting payment done, getting uh, approvals for her patients to receive the care that they deserve. Um, insurance plans seem to change the way that she can code the care that's required. Yeah. So, you know, she bills this way, and they say <laughs> they want it to be billed in another way. Yeah. It's, it, everyone that's getting care now seems to have their first experience with the insurance company is, is battling over a denial for care that, that seems that it should be covered, even yeah. if it's the standard of care that everyone expects. Michael, uh, I, I really appreciate your calling and, and adding that perspective to the conversation. Andy Hetzel, I'll give you a chance to to respond. Are, are insurance companies part of the problem? Are they part of what keeps consumers from being able to, to access the things uh, that they need because of interference with doctors and their judgment. Sure. So Michael brings up a couple of different points in his comment. Um, the comment about coding, for instance, coding procedures is a very critical component of making sure that patients get the right care at the right time. And it's actually driven um, in large measure by government mandates. A few years ago, the government passed requirements upon health insurers, they were called ICD-10 requirements, that uh, mandated that we uh, differentiate services provided at a very precise level so we could keep track of the provision of care and make sure that there was no fraud or waste in the system. So insurers are responsible for putting in place government mandates that the government wants to make sure uh, people are getting the the care they need, um, but they're they're also not getting um, ripped off in the system. Um, fraudulent care uh, accounts for hundreds of billions of dollars of cost in the system every year that is factored into the rates uh, that people pay for health insurance. On the other on the other side of Michael's comment was uh, it was a concern about paperwork and administrative process. Um, that is a factor um, in the provision of care that doctors like his wife have to go through. We see it as something that's necessary um, in order to make sure that care being provided is proper and adequate across the spectrum of providers, to make sure there's little fraud in the system and waste and abuse. Um, but also, we try to work hands-on with physicians to make sure that their process of working with us is as streamlined as possible. Okay. Andy Hetzel, Vice President of Communications at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Thank you for being here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. All right. That's going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow, and I hope you will too. Detroit Today is produced by Laura Weber Davis and Jake Neer. Our program director is Joan Isabella, technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Our associate producers are Ria Basha and Gus Navarro. The Detroit Today theme song was composed by WDET's Sam Bobian. If you missed any part of this show because you had to go off to work or you just had other engagements, you can hear the full broadcast on the Detroit Today podcast. Just go to iTunes and download and subscribe to Detroit Today. You can take us with you and listen to us whenever or wherever you like. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. I'll see you tomorrow.